0: Hey, everyone. Thanks for taking some time to join us on the show today. Always pumped to have you guys. Today's episode is a special one as it is our last guest before we wrap up season two. If you haven't gotten a chance, please follow and subscribe to the show. Today's podcast guest is Nick Simmons. Nick is a two-time Olympian, founder of RunGum, YouTuber, and all-around really interesting guy. Please check the show notes out if you want to see any links to RunGum or to Nick's YouTube channel. Whenever
1: you're ready,
0: Nick. All right. Well, cool. welcome, welcome, everyone, to another Tagalong podcast. My name is Nick Karwowski with our co-host, Scott Delvecchio. Today, we have a very special guest today. Um, Nick Simmons is a retired American middle-distance track and field athlete specializing in the 800 meters and 1500 uh, he signed with Brooks Running in January of 2014 after a seven-year sponsorship with Nike. Nick is a two-time Olympian, eight-time national champion, and he is the founder and owner of RunGum. Nick, thank you so much uh, for taking the time to chat with us today.
2: Yeah, my pleasure.
0: Where do we uh, find you today?
2: As always, Track USA, Eugene, Oregon. Moved yes. here in 2006. Never left. I mean, I bounced all around, but I've always had a house here.
1: Cool. Yeah. So, I mean. Nick has always told me a lot about you, and obviously we see you on YouTube all the time and promoting Run Gum, but I wanted to kind of get a little bit about your backstory. So you were born in Arkansas, raised in Idaho, went to college at Willamette University in Oregon. Where do you spend most of your time during the year? Because obviously you're doing a bunch of different things on YouTube and, and whatnot.
2: You know, I've always, I, so I moved here in 2006 to Eugene, Oregon when I signed with Nike and, and started running professionally with the Oregon Track Club Elite. And I bought a house and I just fell in love with the Valley, the Willamette Valley. So I lived in LA for a bit, lived in Mexico for a bit, Seattle for, you know, I was actually a Seattle resident for a while, but I always, throughout this whole time, I always had a house in Eugene. And, um, you know, I bought a couple, sold a couple, I'm 37 years old now. And I would say now my wife and I have kind of picked out what I would call our, semi-permanent home. Maybe if we hit it big one day, we upgrade, but this one, this one will do the trick. It's, it's on three acres out in the country and we really like it now I'll, I'll never leave That's the awesome. Valley. I, I absolutely love it, but I do, I do travel quite a bit for work. So shooting videos on the East coast or LA or, you know, meeting with buyers for run gum. I, I was traveling a lot pre pandemic. Now I just travel a little bit. That's, That's awesome.
0: awesome. Um, so you are one of the most accomplished runners in Division Three history. Uh, your 800-meter record still holds uh, 145.83. And I remember back when I, I ran at Dickinson College, a Division Three school, and you were such a big motivation as far as, uh, to me, in the sport of track and field, because the sport of running is defined by a time, and it doesn't matter where you went. And I think it's a relatively even playing field when it comes to this sport as far as comparing yourself to other runners. Was, was there a moment or a race at met or otherwise that you realized that you were making history in, in division three? Uh,
2: yeah, I think it is a neat sport in that you're competing against a clock, you know, a 400 meter tracks, a 400 meter track. Uh, it's not like basketball where you really need great teammates to let your skills shine through. Um, so I just trained my butt off and I'd step on the track and race anybody I could, could race. You know, I think my freshman year, I kind of went in as a, as a, you know, just a guy excited to run. It's D three. You're not getting a scholarship. You're running because you love it. And I really loved it freshman year. And I remember when I went out to nationals, uh, the NCAA championships, my freshman year, I'd qualified in both the eight and the 15, but I wasn't the favorite to win either of them. There were a couple seniors that were, were, you know, locks basically. And I'm like, I don't know what I what I'm capable of, but I'm gonna go out there and give them hell. And I had, you know, taken this mentality of, of doing what, you know, whatever it takes to find my way to the front from, from the state of Idaho, where I'd won nine state titles, kind of carried that mentality in, into these D3 national championships and, and snuck away with the win in both the 15 and the eight. So, you know, that moment for me, um, change. I, I'm not gonna say it's changed my life. Cause I, I kept doing the same thing. I just kept running. Cause I loved it. It's not like I was like, Oh, I'm so good. I can go get a D one scholarship. Now I didn't pursue that even though I probably could have, I was like, Oh, what it's working. And if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, and that mentality kind of carried me through the next couple years. I would say it, it was broke my, my senior year. I was still running great. I just kind of had plateaued cause there was nobody else in D three for me to race. And so going into my senior year, I said, this is it either I, either I you know, figure out how to get better and come out of this plateau and, and become a pro, or I go do something else. And at the time I was studying to be a doctor. So I thought I'd go to medical school. Well, I, I threw caution to the wind, like a smart 21 year old should. And I just trained all out all in. I mean, literally I, I went from being a 4.0, 3.9 student to a 2.5 student, but I went from being ranked number 50 in the United States to being ranked number two. So it paid off to worth take it. that risk. Worth Absolutely it. worth it. Yeah. And I mean, if you're 21, like Worst case scenario, I go back and retake those classes, but especially in the world of running, I was just starting to hit my prime. And if I didn't take the chance, then it was going to, you know, I was going to miss it. So I'm really glad I had the, the courage to take that chance. And, and then, you know, the rest is history. I signed with Nike, ran for them for eight years, signed with Brooks, ran for them for four years, you know, and ran professionally for 12 years in a sport that typically you last about three years, three to four is probably the average pro length. Career, so I was durable. I had a great team around me, from coaches to trainers. You know, you name it, I had it. And uh, I look back on it now with just like this huge grin. I'm like, that was crazy. Like I can't believe it even happened to me. It, it feels like, like a lifetime. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, on the topic, on the topic of durability. So from 2007 to 2012, you're one of the fastest men in the world to run and you were continuing, uh, improving your time. So can you give us a little bit of insight into your mindset back then? So obviously you came out of college, what was your mindset? What was getting you up in the morning to like continue doing that throughout all those years?
2: Yeah, I would say from, let's see, the ages of 22, when I signed my pro contract to about 29, 30, even if I did, even if I'd gotten paid $0, I'd have done it for free just because I was so excited about seeing how good I could get. You know, I I didn't love the training or the lifestyle necessarily, but I loved that I just continued to get faster and faster and faster. I always felt like I owed it to my younger self to see how good I could get. Like that 14-year-old kid who logged miles through 100-degree summers in Idaho. I'm like, that kid put in the work. I owe it to him to see how good I can get. And that mentality of just wanting to, to just finish what I started and, and really reach my peak. So few people in the world of track and field ever get to actually realize their peak because of financial reasons. And I didn't have to worry about that. Like I got to, tr- because I was supported by these teams, I got to truly figure out how good I could get. So about the age of 28, 29 is when I hit my absolute peak, uh, num- ranked number two in the world, 356 for a mile, 142 for 800 meters, fifth in the London Olympics. Like that was kind of like my peak. And then everything on the back end of that was just hanging on for dear life, cashing in checks. And there's nothing wrong with that either. That's still a great motivator. I was like, I I did this for pennies for so long. I'm the kid that ran in college for free. Like I'm going to cash some checks for a while. And yeah. I did that. And the idea was just squirrel away as much as possible. And I, I did that to try to set myself up for you know retirement, which is a really, really tough transition for any pro athlete for a lot yeah. of reasons, it's not just the financial part of it, but but the sense of purpose and the dopamine rush of setting a PR, all that goes by overnight. (laughs) Well, so you mentioned that you were uh, going to school to be a doctor. That was biochemistry, right? Correct. Yeah. I studied biochem, got a degree uh, in biochem from Willamette university and, uh, every every potential patient out there is lucky that I did not. <laughs> <laughs> Horrible That's
0: I feel like an athlete. If you had pursued it, you would have excelled at a similar level you were as a runner. No, because there's got to be passion.
2: A- you know, there has to be passion. I'm learning that now. You know, at 37 years of age, as I'm writing my second and third acts, if there's no passion, no matter how hard of a worker you are, no matter how dedicated you are. You have to be passionate about it or you're just, you know, plugging in and, and doing a job rather than, you know, like with YouTube. I'm, I talk about YouTube all the time because I'm obsessed with it. Like I used to be obsessed with running. I'll lay in bed till two in the morning, just staring at the ceiling, thinking about ideas for YouTube. I would do it for free because I'm obsessed with it. I love it. It's a game that I want to play, just like running was once a game I wanted to play. So what I have found some level of success as a doctor, yes, but I never was going to be passionate about medicine And I don't think you can reach your true potential without some underlying, just burning fire that says, I have to find out how good I can be at this.
0: So with that, did you you bring the idea, were you a big coffee drinker, were you a big energy drinker? Like, did you go to your coach with the idea for caffeinated gum? Like, how did that all come about?
2: Well, I'd had the idea for a long time, you know, studying sublingual absorption, buccal absorption, you know, understanding how... Functional chewing gum was kind of taking off in different sectors of the market. You know, we're all familiar with Nicorette. What a, what a phenomenal example of a very successful functional chewing gum. I'm like, we can do this with a lot of different things, you know, and, and I thought to, for my own personal use, caffeine would be a great one because I'm drinking energy drinks and it's destroying my stomach between the sugar and the acidity, the carbonation, the sloshing. It's like the last thing I want before a workout. But I did like the way the energy drinks made me feel before a workout or a race, And so I just took the active ingredients that I liked out of my favorite energy drink and then kind of, not kind of, I straight up infused them into a piece of chewing gum and I (laughs) called it run gum and just started using it at practice and and meets and all my friends and competitors and everybody wanted, we didn't call it run gum at the time. I had other names for it, but they all (laughs) wanted it. And I said, we got to bring this to market. So I did approach my coach at the time, who's my business partner, Sam LaPray. And he's like, we're going to figure out how to do this right. We both wrote checks, self-funded, bootstrapped from day one, bought a million pieces of it, packaged it, called it Run Gum, and just started selling.
0: That's so cool. It's a, it's such a it has got to be a cool thing to. I mean, you didn't start that industry, but there, what was the closest competitor at that time
2: in the energy gum market? Like nothing. So right. we were really first to market there, um, and you know we're really I would say a leader in the functional chewing gum market. We have Run Gum Immunity, Run Gum Calm new functionalities coming out. Uh, So we're trying, not trying, we are the leader in the functional chewing gum market in America. It's just a very small market right now. So we're really trying to educate consumers on why chewing gum can be a phenomenal delivery vehicle for these active stimulants and and other active ingredients.
0: That's awesome. Um, You have been known to speak your mind and not be afraid to advocate for yourself, especially when you were competing. Um, It's actually something I admire a lot about you and the reason why, Tagalong exists. Um, I remember talking with you a few years ago when Sean Jefferson connected us uh, and you were like, yeah, Tagalong was around when I was competing. That, yeah, I get it. That totally would have been huge. Oh man, I would have been
2: your number one customer. I mean, I would (laughs) have been leading a fun run every single evening. Cause that's what I do now for free on YouTube. I'm like, come meet with me. Everyone's invited to my events. We can go for a run, challenge me to a race. Like I, interacting with the community was my favorite part Huge. of being a pro runner. It's why I started, again, it's why I started the YouTube channel. I, I couldn't leave that behind.
0: Yeah. H- has the governing body, do you follow track and field now? I'm I sure try not to.
2: <laughs> Honest, I mean that seriously. Like I was I was in it deep with USATF and IAAF and RunGum even had, you know, a lawsuit against USATF yeah. at one point. Uh, I would say w- – I've never been like really clinically depressed or, you know, unhappy, but for a few years there, I was really angry, really angry. When I realized where the money was going, how much money there is in track and field and who's taking it all and how little goes to the athletes. I was like, I don't need this. Like I can go, I can go make more money. I can go have more fun doing X, Y, and Z things. Why am I sitting here so that Max Siegel, the CEO of USATF can siphon off $1.7 million a year. Like this and does not make sense, it's such BS. And I really mean it, track and field is a completely broken sport. And so when I say I don't follow it, no. I'll, I'll go to a race. Like I went to pre-classic, I loved it. I watched some of the Olympic trials. I love the athletes. I will always, always fight for the athletes. But the bureaucrats in track and field, they need to take a long look in the mirror and really ask themselves if they're doing what's best for the sport and for the athletes because most of them are not. Right, right, they business.
1: And I was going to say too, it's, it's really cool that we're in this time and age where technology and innovation is, is just brewing all the time. And you, for example, are uh, setting a new standard. Like you, it's not just running at these specific events that USAT is, is putting together. It's, or USATF, it's you go and say, hey, meet me at the track. And people are coming from all over the country. I mean,
2: that, that, that blew my mind when people,
1: when I saw a couple Trust of me, like- it blows my
2: mind too. Like, so, so I had one of my favorite comments ever. We, we, we posted a 5K and it's literally just a, about 30 random people running around a track on a 5K. Right. And it has almost a million views. And I mean, if you, if you set up a world, like a world record attempt at 5K, it, you would have trouble getting a million people to watch it. Right. Olympic medalist shows up, you're not going to get a million people to watch it. But yeah. my 5K gets a million people to watch it. And one of my favorite comments, someone said, did I just spend 20 minutes watching a bunch of randos jogging around the track? <laughs> and I'm like, yes, you did. Yes, you did. Because we package it in a really fun and exciting way. In a way that nobody has figured out how to do, you know, yeah. in mainstream in field. Our pop-up events get more viewership than almost any other track race in America because it's exciting, it's fun. Uh, it's 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 not the boring, stale, old packaging that track and field is is presented every every single week.
0: Do you think if they came to you and were like, "All right, Nick, clearly what you're doing is working. You you have the attention of this up and coming, especially the younger runners." Uh, would you would you consider going and working for them? If would you, are you? Interested I would in only like-
2: I would only work for a for profit entity because the only way that you create great things, sustainable things, is when it's for profit. And everybody who works their butts off knows that. Now, when you have a nonprofit, for example, USATF is a five. Not, I don't think it's a five one five two, but it's a it's a nonprofit. Yeah. Um, they're just a bunch of blubbering idiots wandering around, suckling from the teat that is the IOC. <laughs> they don't create anything. And
0: and you could replace USATF with any governing
2: body. USATF, yeah, all the governing bodies. They they literally they don't create anything of value. They just try not to completely mess it up so they can keep siphoning that money off. And so I have absolutely zero time for anything like USATF, NCAA, IAAF, you know, any of these acronyms, just you guys can go do your thing. Actually, I think World Athletics now is for profit. I could be wrong about that. But what I would be down for is creating something that is a sustainable for-profit, you know, proven business model. Sam and I, my business partner, we've talked about this all the time, how you would create a really killer track meet what it would look like what it would have what it wouldn't have i could get excited about that and i'd love to to be part of something like that but never ever will i work for for USATF or, or ncaa or any of these you know organized group of thugs
0: <laughs> i love
2: nice.
1: it i love
0: it uh, so again we uh really appreciate you taking the time one of the things we do a tag along on the podcast here is this rapid fire section Never ends up being rapid fire because we digress many times, <laughs> but uh, um, we'll, we'll, we'll start it off yeah. here. Yeah, yeah, right. Right. Um, what is your go-to snack?
2: Go, an apple. And I mean that, one, like one apple will give you more energy than, and I'm a guy who owns an energy company. One yeah. apple will fuel you better than almost anything. If I get hungry at like two or three in the afternoon, I eat an apple, you're good Dude. to go
0: certain are you like a picky apple eater like green red no
2: if it's an apple it's, it's good it's good to go it's got one ingredient in it apple <laughs> which is kind of <laughs> nice you know it's not like chock full of nasty stuff that, I, my afternoon routine i try to eat a light lunch because otherwise i, I want to nap all afternoon you know and i i, I don't have time to nap i've got to work nice. so i try to eat a light lunch i wash that down with a with a uh, packet of run gum because you know again don't want to nap and, but then about two or three, I get a little peckish. And so I'll have an apple, and that gets me through till dinner.
1: Nice. Uh, what's a secret hobby or interest that you have that nobody knows about?
2: I don't know that nobody knows about it. But well, I'm yeah, take that player. part out. Yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm obsessed with fishing. I I mean, cool. It, it's the closest thing I have to religion. And I don't mean that in a blasphemous way. I really mean that my spiritual side feels alive when I'm out on a river rowing my boat, like chasing fish. Are you fly fishing or...? Both fly fishing, spin fishing, pulling plugs, bait, you name it, whatever it takes to catch the fish. I prefer fly fishing and I would say I do that 90% of the time. Uh, but almost every single weekend I go fishing and more often than not by myself. That's
0: awesome. Do you have a big like fishing trip once a year with buddies at all?
2: Yeah, I do try to take one like, you know, like jaw dropping. That was crazy trip. In January, I'm going to fish the Amazon rainforest with some buddies. Cool. Whoa. Yeah, that'll be a hell, hell of a trip.
0: Oh, yeah. What was the last hard workout that you did?
2: Well, define hard. (laughs) There's like like, there's like pro running hard and then there's like me on the bike this morning, (laughs) biking 500 calories. Yeah, whatever, whatever, like
0: you finish and you're like, okay, well, I'll "Ah, say I'll say like this
2: morning. So I'm trying to do this new thing where I bike 500 calories on a C2 bike every morning. I -hmm. basically had lost all cardio. I was just lifting and I just felt like I was missing something. So I've only been doing it for a month now, but I feel a lot better just all around doing this, um, just 500 calories. It takes like 30, 35 minutes. Um, I listen to a podcast, which is one of my favorite things to do in the morning anyways. And then I just have a lot more energy throughout the day. I think clear. And then in the afternoons I still lift because I love lifting, but the last, the last time I really went to the dark, dark zone in a workout, this is what we all (laughs) know. So I, uh, I started doing CrossFit about a year or two years ago, and I just wanted to like try something new. And I told them I will never ever compete at CrossFit. I'm not interested in that. I don't really want to compete, period. Certainly not at CrossFit. And then this summer, my, one of my best buddies at the gym talked me into like partnering up with them for one of these competitions. I don't know if you guys have ever done a CrossFit competition, they're horrible. It's literally like the gun goes off, you red line, and then you hold red line as hard as you can for like 15 <laughs> minutes. And I'm like, guys, I don't think this is how you're supposed to work out, but Did it really, you hit? you it leaves you just a like a mess on the ground and you have like one hour to recover for the next workout and you do that five times Jeez. and your hands are bleeding and you're throwing up and you're <laughs> cramping and you're pretty sure you threw your back out and you're still <laughs> competing. I'm like, this is, I compete for a minute and 45 seconds. Okay. And then you wrap it and you go get dinner. Like I about
0: this you had one video where you were competing against i don't know if she was a crossfit champion or training but you were at her gym yeah. and you you crushed her on one of the events like the i forget which one it was but that was yeah it's it's i like
2: crossfit world. i think i think what what they do well is they have a great community you know, really fun sense of community. You're challenged in new and unique ways each day, which leads to muscle confusion, which we all know is great. And, you know, you talk about losing weight or building muscle and and getting up into that, you know, orange or red zone is so critical. And it's something that very few people can do on their own. In those ways, I think CrossFit really nails it. Do people push themselves too hard? Yes, are some coaches shit? Yes, (laughs) Uh, just like anything. Just like anything. It's like yeah. anything. There, There's some great things and bad things about Orange Theory Fitness. There's some great and bad things about, you know, burn boot camp. You know, you name it. I can tell you some things that are really cool about it and some things that, you know, maybe aren't perfect. But yeah. for me, I've never been – well, ever since I finished running, I just – I always wanted to be into fitness still. But I wanted it to be like, okay, I wake up and what do I feel like doing today? Yeah. Like I, it Huge. can't – it cannot be forced. It cannot be uh, – you know, feel like work. I, I did that for 20 years. I just want to have fun with fitness. That's why I always say on my YouTube channel, Hey guys, this is about fun with fitness. Okay.
0: I think that you get that across for sure. And that's, that's huge. Um, Oh, go ahead, Scott.
1: No. Yeah. I was going to say if, if you could tag along with any athlete dead or
2: alive, who would it be? Wow. God, that's a good question. I mean, probably Prefontaine just because he was my first running idol, my first like real sports hero. Uh, so yeah. I go with Steve Prefontaine. Um, I know that's such a like niche running answer that a lot of people.
0: No, that's a good one. He hasn't I don't think anyone's ever said that yeah, one. Okay. We've had some runners, but uh, all right. Um, favorite quote or piece of advice or mantra that you live by. Wow.
2: Um, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Cause it's very, very true. If I, I mean, I could literally build a world record team out of some of the people that I've trained with before, but they were so damn lazy. Like I can, I literally, I'm thinking of two or three names right now and I'm like, that young man, that kid.
0: What could have been?
2: Yeah, he was, he was a hundred percent a shoe in. I mean, way more talented than I ever was. Should have been on Olympic team, but just couldn't stop drinking or couldn't stop smoking weed or couldn't stop playing video games. Yeah. I just, it makes me sick to my stomach how much talent I've seen, just totally wasted. And I'm not that talented. I'm a short, (laughs) stocky white kid from Boise, Idaho. I just worked my ass off, you know?
0: The uh one of the this is we're done with the rapid fire, but I was, ask you, was it there's like I got my ass kicked a ton right at the end of the race. And I always did like longer stuff, 5k steeples, but when I got to college, I was like, okay, I need to I need to improve on that. You you're come from behind style, especially in the 800, which is so rare that must've been such a great feeling to like just walk on guys in that final 50 meters.
2: I, uh, one of the questions I get asked the most now that I'm four or five years removed from my career, they say, what do you miss the most? And I'm like, certainly not the training, not the lifestyle, not, not even the money. I by not the, even the travel, but by far, by far, by far, the number one thing I miss the most is sitting on someone's shoulder with 110 meters to go hearing them just labored breathing and getting a, just a little grin on my face, like I am about to dump on you so hard, you are go- you are not even going to know what hits you. I'm going to put—I'm going to put ten meters on you in three steps. Like just knowing—it's like a boxer when a boxer sees their opponent and they're just mm-hmm. gassed, you know? They're just like stumbling around, and you just know there's no way I can lose this. And I, there were there were moments in, in track and field when I was really prepared. Um, going against really, really big talent, and with 100 meters to go, just like I'm going to light you up. That's what I miss by far the most. That's, That's awesome.
0: awesome. Thank you so much, Nick, for taking the time. And no yeah, easy my pleasure. Great question. Pilot between, run gum between, YouTube between, newly married. Um, appreciate it, man. And going to follow you. Going to follow your continued success. Wish you all the best. I appreciate that. Uh, thanks for the, uh, taking the time for the tag along podcast. Thank you, guys. Yeah, I'll see you.
1: And that's a wrap for episode nine of the tag along with a pro podcast. Thank you for listening and supporting us. And a big thank you to Nick Simmons for uh, taking some time out of his busy day to speak with us about his career and what he's up to. You can find more information about run gum and his YouTube videos in the show notes. And this was the last episode of the season before we do a wrap up episode next week with Nick until then we'll catch you later. See ya. (laughs)